Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. This week's episode is the first of two in which I'll be reading sonnets by Longfellow on four eminent English poets. Longfellow wrote these four sonnets, one each on Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, and Keats, as a group. Today I'll be reading those on Chaucer and Shakespeare, Next week, I'll do those on Milton and Keats. First, Chaucer. Geoffrey Chaucer was born in London in the mid-14th century, that is, in the middle 1300s, to a well-to-do family that had made its money in the alcohol business, first as tavern keepers and then as wine merchants. He was early put in service in the royal court and for the rest of his life made his living in government service. London at this time was still a walled city, prosperous but also densely populated, and thus no place for members of the royal family, so Chaucer's elevation eventually took him out of the city and into the surrounding countryside. In his later years, he served as a clerk of the king's estates, with their lodges and manors, gardens and ponds, woods and forests for hunting, and pastures and fields for income and royal provisions. In this rural life, he continued to write poetry, including his Canterbury Tales, until his death. Longfellow celebrates all of this in his poetic tribute. Let's listen. Chaucer by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow An old man in a lodge within a park The chamber walls depicted all around with portraitures of huntsman, hawk, and hound, and the hurt deer. He listeneth to the lark, whose song comes with the sunshine through the dark of painted glass and leaden lattice bound. He listeneth, and he laugheth at the sound, then writeth in a book like any clerk. He is the poet of the dawn who wrote the Canterbury Tales and his old age made beautiful with song. And as I read, I hear the crowing of the cock, I hear the note of lark and linnet, and from every page rise odors of plowed field or flowery mead. Shakespeare, born 200 years after Chaucer, followed an opposite trajectory. Born in the rural village of Stratford-on-Avon, Shakespeare moved to London as a young man and became involved in its thriving theater world. London by now was expanding beyond its Roman walls. It was a place of great intellectual and artistic ferment in both its taverns and its theaters. Longfellow depicts this bustling, energetic world in Shakespeare, rather than any of the many worlds found in Shakespeare's plays for it's out of the world of London that the tremendous vitality and scope of his plays come. Longfellow's Shakespeare follows the traditional pattern of a sonnet more than does Chaucer. After presenting the lively city in the first eight lines, Longfellow turns in the last six to his praise of Shakespeare's genius, calling him a second Musagetes, that is, Apollo, Lord of all the muses, for Shakespeare was master of all the genres of poetry as well as history and learning. 
Shakespeare didn't have the university education many of his rivals had, but he absorbed more learning than they, whether from the books he studied privately or from the conversations all around him in London taverns. Let's listen. Shakespeare by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow A vision as of crowded city streets with human life in endless overflow, Thunder of thoroughfares, trumpets that blow to battle, clamor in obscure retreats of sailors landed from their anchored fleets, tolling of bells and turrets, and below voices of children and bright flowers that throw o'er garden walls their intermingled sweets. This vision comes to me when I unfold the volume of the poet Paramount, whom all the muses loved not one alone, into his hands they put the lyre of gold, and crowned with sacred laurel at their fount, placed him as Musagetes on their throne. For Longfellow, Chaucer and Shakespeare are very different figures. Each gives us a plenitude reflecting the poet's different times and lives, though not fully explained by these, for each poet has his own genius as well. For those steeped in poetry, the name Chaucer has a meaning that is rich and complex. So too the name Shakespeare. Today, there are those who would reduce the meanings of these names and others to something smaller and less positive. Before we follow such definitions down their negative paths, it's important that we have first the richer and more complex meanings. Toward that end, let's listen again to Longfellow's appreciation of these two poets. Chaucer by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow An old man in a lodge within a park, the chamber walls depicted all around with portraitures of huntsman, hawk, and hound, and the hurt deer. He listeneth to the lark, whose song comes with the sunshine through the dark of painted glass and leaden lattice bound. He listeneth and he laugheth at the sound, then writeth in a book like any clerk. He is the poet of the dawn, who wrote the Canterbury Tales, and his old age made beautiful with song. And as I read, I hear the crowing cock, I hear the note of lark and linnet, and from every page rise odors of ploughed field or flowery mead. And now Shakespeare. Shakespeare by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow A vision as of crowded city streets with human life in endless overflow, thunder of thoroughfares, trumpets that blow to battle, clamor in obscure retreats, of sailors landed from their anchored fleets, tolling of bells and turrets, and below voices of children, and bright flowers that throw o'er garden walls their intermingled sweets. This vision comes to me when I unfold the volume of the poet Paramount, whom all the muses loved, not one alone. Into his hands they put the lyre of gold, and crowned with sacred laurel at their fount, placed him as Musagetes on their throne. I hope you enjoyed Chaucer 
and Shakespeare. These two poems, and next week's two poems on Milton and Keats, point to the larger world of poetry and literature I'll be turning to next month in my two new podcasts. Please join me again next week for Milton and Keats, and then the following week for the final episode of Fireside Poems, but not, I hope, for our final visit together.